Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Well, today we're in our final week of a series we've entitled Battle Ready. And I don't know about y'all, but this series has been helpful for me. Has it been helpful for you? Amen. So we're going to look at our last piece of armor. I'm going to open up with the scripture we've been looking at the last five weeks, Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, so you can turn there with me. I'm going to start in verse 13. And we're going to go down to verse 17. If you're ready for the word of God, shout, I'm ready. Ready. Say, I'm ready. Ready. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I wanna preach to you from this thought today, cutting ties, cutting ties. If you're taking notes, that's the title, cutting ties. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't cut me. Don't cut me, don't cut me. Will you pray with me and stretch your hand towards heaven if you're available? Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing what you've done, what you're going to do. We know that your presence is in the room. It's not just a vibe. It's not an energy. It's a spirit of faith. It's the anointing of the spirit. And so God, I I thank you for making yourself available to us. So we make ourselves available to you today. Not here to play church games, not here to sing corporate karaoke, not here to check it off a box, not here to feel better about ourselves. We're here to hear from you to be who you've created us to be and do what you've called us to do and love who you've called us to love. As we open your word today, Father, you say it's like a sword. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. You pierce our hearts. So would you do the life transformation that only you can do? We love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody set? Come on, everybody set? Hey, say hi to somebody next to you. Give my handshake, a high five, a hug or a kiss. Don't kiss anybody you don't know. Again, welcome to everybody watching online. If you're in the house and you haven't shared the stream, I wanna encourage you to do that. Um, we have people right now going through our partnership course, which is uh, the, what we call membership here, but we call partnership. And uh, so many of the people who called this church home heard about this place through church online. So you're not gonna offend me. Pull out your phone, share the stream. I believe God's gonna use it today. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed when you're driving in or maybe you're leaving today, has anybody noticed the like Italian circuit, circus over here, anybody? Has anybody been to the water circus? Okay, like three people. Was it awesome? I heard it. Okay, no, I got mixed reviews, okay? I, um, I looked it up this morning and I thought, you know, that could be cool. That could be cool to take my kids to. And, uh, and then I looked up the price and that mug was $67 a ticket. And I thought, man, I could just go home and jump on the trampoline and get a water hose and show my kids some, some tricks for that, you know? Um, but then it got me thinking, I was like, man, I miss the real circus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody even the Nashville circus? So this is on the way. I literally look it up this morning and I'm like, man, when is the circus? And I, we just missed it. Some people took their kids to the circus. And uh, if you're under 30 and you don't know what a circus is, uh, it's a thing where there's live animals and people and they jump off of things and they tame animals. It's pretty cool. Um, I loved going to the circus as a kid. It's one of the things that we did every year as it came to Nashville. And, uh, and, and I loved all of the flying stuff that they did and all that. I loved the, the animals, especially when they brought a lion. Um, but I really loved the elephants. How many of you have ridden the back of an elephant before? That's right. I love the elephants because to me, when I look at an elephant, it's majestic. 
I mean, this is like prehistoric. It's like a dinosaur that didn't get extinct, you know? And, and I love these humongous elephants because they're, they're super wise, number one, but they're, they're really powerful. They're huge, probably the biggest animal on planet. And, and I love them. And then I got to thinking, you know, how do you train an elephant? <laughs> like when you were working this week, this is what I'm trying to figure out, okay? How do you, how do you train an elephant? And, and the thing that they did to train these elephants to constrain them so that they wouldn't run off and break everything, um, one of the things they did was as, when it was a baby, they got a stake and they attached it to a string. Wow, we're gonna pause for that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Somebody's like sawing something. I don't know what we're, we're doing in church today. Okay, so here's what they would do. They would take this elephant and uh, they would take this stake and they would put a string to it. And what they would do was they would drive this stake into the ground, right? And they would push it down deep. And then what they would do is they would tie this string to the leg of the elephant so that it would restrain it. And so as the elephant would try to walk, right, as it would move, it would pull and it could only go so far. Now, here's what's interesting. As the elephant grew up, the thing that kept it captive was the same thing that always kept it captive when it was a baby. They never had to change the stake or the string. Even though it was more powerful, even though it could easily break the rope or pull out, pull out the thing they hammered down, it was easy, they could've, it could've done it, but the elephant never tried, and here's why. Because it didn't have a strength problem, it had a mentality problem. It would never break free because it thought that the thing that used to hold it captive when it was a baby was the same thing that still had it, held it captive as an adult. Can I just tell somebody, some of you are here and the thing that's held you captive since you were a kid is still holding you captive today. And it's not a strength problem, it's a mindset problem. Good news, you don't have to allow the things from your past, your childhood, the guilt, the regret, the shame to stop you because guess what? You're stronger than you were five years ago. And you can walk in victory in life, but for so many people, we try to fight this fight in strength when really the issue is our mindset. And our mindset matters. I would say that the brain is the most important organ in your body. You may argue with me and say it's the heart, but here's the thing. You can do a heart transplant. You can do a liver transplant. You can do a lung transplant, but you cannot transplant the brain. And so what you think about God and what you think about yourself and what you think about others is the most important thing about you. That's why the writer of Proverbs 23 says it like this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So what that means is as the mind goes, the body follows. And so your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so if you don't like the direction you're headed, you need to take an audit of what you're thinking. And so we don't have a behavioral problem per se. I mean, your behavior isn't perfect, but that actually starts somewhere deeper and it's a mindset issue. We, we are more stressed and anxious in our society than ever before. Three out of four adults battle on an active basis with anxiety. We're stressed, we're overwhelmed, we are addicted to the approval of people, we are obsessed with being liked, 
And the issue is a mentality problem. And when Paul is looking at this Roman guard, he says, the thing that is gonna protect your mind more than anything else is called this thing, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. And so what did the helmet look like? Well, I began to kind of study into this helmet idea and I started off with the football helmet. And you know how they used to wear like the leather things, no protection at all. Well, they've come a long way since then. And so as I studied this helmet, I began to realize that there was something about a helmet with an orange T on it that just knows how to win. Come on. I had to keep throwing it in there. Now, this is the, um, this is the picture of a, uh, of a Roman helmet. And, and the helmet was made of brass or bronze, and, and, um, and it was constructed in such a way to do two things. You're going to want to write these down. Here's what the helmet is used for in the life of the believer. Number one, this helmet is used for identity. Say identity. And protection. Say protection. Now, the first thing you may notice about this is the red mohawk on top. That's not just to look cool. The purpose, the reason they would have this right here as they would wear it was because it gave them identity in the army that they were a part of. And so when they were in battle, the way that they knew who was on the same team was they all had matching helmets to then identify, I belong here and not over there. This is how they knew who to attack and who not to attack. So it provided them with identity. It showed their rank, it showed their class. But the other thing the helmet did was it provided protection, say protection. Provided protection. Well, inside of it, it would have a, a cushion-like substance. So the outside was constructed in a way where it could take hits from the enemy, hits from a sword, hits from an arrow, but the inside was what actually kept the brain safe. It, it protected your processor. And it protected against the flaming arrows of the evil one. He would throw flaming Arrows. There's an enemy that's going after your soul and he throws flaming arrows, which is interesting. It's interesting that the way he attacks you is by throwing something at you. You know what that means? It means that he's a coward. Because he's throwing stuff at you, which means he's got to keep his distance from you. There's a reason why the enemy doesn't come up and attack you with a sword, because he knows that if he comes too close to you, this battle he's in is not against flesh and blood, but against the power of God that works inside of your life. So he knows you better not get too close to me because I got the spirit of God that lives inside of me and the same spirit that rose him from the grave lives here and you will not win this fight. So he has to launch arrows at you in order to hit you and what he says is gonna protect you is the helmet of salvation. Say salvation. Now, this is kind of the last, this is the, the, the fifth piece of armor. We're gonna talk about one more in just a little bit that Paul describes. And so we've talked about a couple things, right? We talked about the belt of truth, talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about the shoes of peace, the shield of faith. And the fifth piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. And as I studied this this week, um, there, there's not a whole lot of sermons to listen to on this topic. Um, there isn't a whole lot of commentary to really read on this topic. And I began to wonder why. Like I've had a lot of fun preaching the other things. This one might be the, the least exciting of them. But the reason why I think that this is, is so challenging and the reason there's not a lot of thought on this is because when we hear the word salvation, we think really simply. 
We think of salvation is that moment when you raise your hand or you pray that prayer and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and in that moment, you're saved. We think about it in that moment. Now, that is salvation, but salvation is much more vast than that. And so when, when Paul is writing this, he's writing it to Christians, which means he's making the assumption that you're already saved. And so when Paul's talking about the helmet of salvation, let's understand what salvation is. What is salvation? Write this down. Really simply, it's broad. You see it all the way across the scriptures. It's to deliver or to rescue. It's literally what the word means. So salvation, in this extent, means to deliver people, to rescue people from three things. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And so God, in his redeeming work, saves us from those three things. And the first one is the initial one. And if you don't get that, nothing else I'm saying is gonna matter today. Because he's saying, salvation first releases you, frees you, delivers you from the penalty of sin. Somebody say penalty. This is the past tense. That's why Ephesians 2, Paul writes, you've been saved. Past tense. By grace, through faith, not of yourselves, not by your works. It is the gift of God in Jesus that saved you. And a lot of times we just stop there. We think that there was a moment in which we prayed to pray and we got saved and that's true, but, but we're more complex than that. In fact, we were created in the image of God. Now we're not God, let me be clear, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Well, you and I consist of three different parts. You're, you're not just flesh. You're spirit, you're soul, that's mind, will, and emotions, and you are body, that's your flesh. And so salvation applies differently to all three of those aspects. It's why, it's why some of you can come in and you can say, I've been saved in my spirit, but you can walk out and still deal with the same temptation because there is additional saving in your mind that needs to happen. And so for some of us, we've been saved, but what Paul is talking about is not the past tense. He's not talking about the, the future tense, which he talks about later in Romans, where he says that there will be one day where God will make all things new and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and you'll have a new resurrected body. And at that point, there will be no presence of sin. So in the past, he frees you from the penalty when we get to heaven, he frees you from the presence, but right now we gotta still deal with the power. And so he says, you've been saved, but you still also need saving, which he says this, he says, this is why he says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about the initial salvation. He's not talking about your spirit being saved because you can't work that part out. That's by grace through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. So what's he talking about? He's talking about that there is a transformation that needs to happen in your mind because some of you have been set free in your spirit, but you're still tied to your old way of thinking. And as you go, as your mind goes, your body follows. So what is kind of the complete picture of salvation we see through scripture? Write this down. This is the most basic definition. Salvation is total transformation. It is transformation in your spirit, transformation in your soul, and transformation in your flesh. It is total transformation. You cannot experience salvation and still live in the old way. So 
this might be embarrassing. I might lose some man points for this. But uh, one of the things my wife and I do together is we watch TV. And a show I'm not proud to say that I love, but I do love, uh, we love watching HGTV. Anybody HGTV fans in the house? Okay, and uh, we, we watch Love It or List It. We watch Extreme Home Makeover. That's probably my favorite one, by the way, because the Extreme Home Makeover, right, they pick this family and, and their house is kind of older typically. It has some damage. And what do they do? They come in, they pick a family with an incredible story, first off, because they're gonna pull at your heartstrings. Right? Like this family is like, they're great people. They just had some bad luck or they, they've had something happen to them that they didn't see. They're struggling. They typically got kids. They're working two or three jobs. They're just like the most amazing people on the planet. You hear their story and you're like, yo, I can identify with that. And so what happens throughout the show? They send them away and they begin to renovate the entire home outside and in. And then typically they throw in kind of like an extra surprise at the end. And as you watch the show, right, there comes a moment near the end where they bring the family back outside and they're standing there and they're looking at this massive bus with a picture of their old house. And then they're like, are you ready to see your new house? And they're like, yeah. Like I'm screaming in my living room. Yeah, let's do it. And then they're like, all right, ready? Move that bus. Commercial break. And it's like, nice. You know, and they get you all excited and you're ready. And so then you gotta wait and you gotta see all the stupid commercials that nobody pays attention to. You know, get up, get you some food, sit back down. It comes back on. They show the kind of recap moment. And then they get back to that moment again. And like, are you ready? And they're like, yeah, like, move that bus. And they move the old out of the way and they're looking at the new. And it's like every single time they do, they go, and they freeze. And they just stand there. And I'm like, go, like go inside, right? Like most of the time the host is literally like, do you wanna see it, you know? Like, and they get so shocked by the initial thing that they see. And I thought about that and I thought about you and I thought about this idea of salvation. And so many of us, we experience the reveal. We experience the moment where we're in awe that there's some kind of transformation that's happened, but you never fully understand what salvation is until you walk in the house. And so many of us are like, oh my gosh. And what I came to tell you to do today is go inside and watch the transformation that's gonna happen, not just on the outside, but on the inside. It's total transformation. Salvation is not just a free pass from hell. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just one day we get to heaven then. It is a manifestation of heaven here and now that Jesus comes to give life and life to the full, not just so you can enjoy it one day, but so that you can walk in the salvation and transformation he does right now. And so many of us miss that because we hear salvation and we're like, I've done that. But then you wonder why you still have the same temptations, the same struggles. It's because Paul says there's a pattern to this world, but do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So here's what salvation does. The first thing, salvation changes your identity. So he says, put on the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet? Identity. What does God do the moment you give him your life and submit your spirit to him? He changes your identity. He takes you as someone who was dead and who was an enemy of the gospel and an enemy of the cross. And he says, I'm taking you from death to life. I'm taking you from somebody who was a captive to sin and now making you a conqueror in Jesus. So he changes your identity. He says, that's not who you, who you are anymore. You used to be this, but now you're this. And the reason many of us aren't doing what God has called us to do is because we aren't being who God created us to be. See, before you can be a human doing, you have to first be a human being. 
And we always wanna talk about the outside. We wanna talk about the things we need to do differently. But unless you've been transformed and know who you are, you're gonna continue to fall back in the same old pattern in the world because you haven't yet grasped that you are no longer a captive, but now you are a child of God and now you're called to walk in it. He changes your identity. I love this because I struggle with what people think of me. Anybody else? You know, for a, lot, a long time, people have tried to label people by their issues, by the things they struggle with. This ain't a new issue. This isn't a new thing that culture's making up. All throughout the Bible, you see people identify people by their issues. That's what they did back then. And guess what? That's what we do right now. That's why we read about people in the New Testament where they say, this is the woman with the issue of blood. Ladies, how would you like to be described that way? Or men, they call the one guy blind Bartimaeus. Not Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. What if they called you divorce Debbie? What if they called you gossip Gary? Stingy Steve, I don't know, like identified by your issue identified by what people think about you. They called one man, uh, they, they called him the, he, he, his name was Legion, which meant a lot of demons. Wasn't his real name. They just called him the demoniac. Why? Because people always want to attach your identity to your issues. But God says, that's not who you are. So the thing Satan tries to do is he tries to launch these arrows and he goes after your identity because if you don't know who you are, you will never do what you're supposed to do. And so we try to change the behavior, but God goes, it doesn't start with your behavior. It starts in your mind. First, I'm gonna save your spirit. And then we allow the spirit to transform the way that we think. And then as we think differently, we do differently. So it, it, it causes you and I to think differently about who you are. That you, you may have failed, but listen to me, you're not a failure. Failure is an event, not a person. And so the enemy wants you to believe that you are your mistake, but God says, you are who I say you are. And when you get this and you see that salvation first changes how you think about you, then it causes you to think differently about what you do. So first it causes you to think differently about who you are, but then it causes you to think differently about what you do. So I was talking to my son Tatum the other day and I asked him, I said, buddy, what do you wanna do when you grow up? Now that's a question you think of doing, but really it's of, identi of identity. And I said, what do you wanna do when you grow up? What do you wanna be? He said, daddy, I wanna be a dinosaur. I said, what kind of dinosaur? Not T-Rex, right? Like we can't have the little arms. Like what kind of dinosaur? And he doesn't, he's, I don't know a dinosaur. I said, now buddy, I love dinosaurs, but you can't be a dinosaur. He said, why? I can't be a dinosaur? I said, no, buddy. He goes, what about Olaf? I said, no, no you'll melt in the summer. You can't be Olaf. And he goes, well, what about Elsa? I said, no, buddy, you can't be Elsa. He goes, but I, why can't I be Elsa? I said, because Elsa's a girl. He goes, so? And I said, well, God didn't make you a girl. He made you a boy. Hey, parents, listen to me. Don't extinguish your kid's imagination, direct it. Moments like that are teachable moments. 
I said, buddy, he didn't make you a girl. He made you a boy and he made you strong and he made you handsome and he made you kind. And so you, you, can't, be, you can't be a girl because God didn't make you a girl. God, God crafted you and made you on purpose with a purpose. He says you're his masterpiece. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. If he wanted you to be a girl, he would have made you a girl. And so some of us are like, oh, that's political. Mm, no, no, no. But you need to understand, culture is going after your identity. And if you don't speak to who God says you are, somebody will. Somebody's out to tell you who you are by your issue. But God says, no, no, no. I didn't create you that way. I created you this way. So even if your body says one thing, your body follows your mind and your mind is transformed by your spirit. And that's the thing I saved. And so I said, buddy, you can't be a girl. I said, so what do you want to be? What do you want to do? He says, Dad, I want to baptize people like you. And that's baptism. That means baptism in his language. And I said, Buddy, I'm going to teach you how to baptize people. Do you know why we baptize people? No, I said, Because God loves them so much and God made them and created them. And guess what, buddy? God made you and God loves you and God made your brother and God made your mom and God made your dad. He said, Okay, I want to baptize you right now. <laughs> I mean, we got videos of my kid dunking me in the living room, dunking me in the ocean. Like, if I wasn't baptized before, my four-year-old baptized me now. I'm good, all right? And so two weeks later, here, here's, here's the impact you can have on someone, okay? Even a four-year-old. Out of the blue, he goes, hey, Dad. So I said, he goes, God made me. Said, yeah, he did. And God loves me. Mm -hmm. And God made Jet, and God loves Jet, too. And I said, that's right, buddy. I'm telling you, your identity will either be shaped by culture or your identity will be shaped by Christ. And I just want to encourage, even if you're not a parent, you need to understand your identity is not in what somebody else says you are. Your identity is in who your father says you are. You do not need somebody else to speak to who you are or who you're not because when you are saved, it takes what you used to be and gives you a new identity. And so now you are a child of God. You are not a victim, but you are a victor in Christ. You're no longer a captive, but a conqueror in Jesus. Can I get a good amen? Amen. amen. So he says this, it's gonna change what you do. And I love what Paul then goes into as he talks about how this identity begins to shape everything. Philippians 4.8 says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, not wrong, whatever is pure, not impure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, not dishonoring, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, not gossip, not slander, not in my mind. If those starts in your mind, you don't have to think that way. He says, I'm gonna have you think about such things. Verse nine, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. So let me show you how in my life, some things I've written down, how who I am shapes what I do and maybe a mindset shift you need today. Here, here's a couple. Um, I'm no longer gonna live for myself. I'm gonna live for God and other people. Why? Because I'm not the center of this universe. So I'm never gonna do things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight the thought of going, this is all about Cody and rather going, God, how is this all about you? And how do I love your people? Here's a second shift. Um, I'm not gonna hold grudges. Let me tell you why. Because I've been forgiven much, therefore I can forgive much. And some of you, that's the thing that's holding you back is that you're tied to it and you won't let the past go. And it's still holding you down now when God has given you everything you need to cut that tie. Here's another one. 
um, I'm not gonna manage my sin. I'm gonna repent from it. I'm not just gonna hide it and cover it up because that's not what my God does. My God set me free from the penalty and power of sin, amen? amen. Mindset shift, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna isolate myself. You know why? I wasn't created for isolation. I was created for community. Now I'm part of a family of God, so I'm gonna spend time with that family. Mindset shift, uh, people are not my problem. Turn to your neighbor, say, you're not my problem. Some of you really need to say that again. Say, you're not my problem. You're not my problem. Guess what? People are not your problem. People are your purpose. People are the thing that God has called you to love and the way you love people reflects how you love him. So I don't look at people and go, man, you're my problem because this fight isn't against flesh and blood. So you're not my problem. No, in fact, you're my purpose and, and you're here so that I can show you what God looks like. Number six, um, I'm not gonna give up. It's a mindset shift. Some of us have become professional quitters. Every time something goes wrong, we, we quit. Every time it doesn't go away, our way, we think it must not be God. So no, I'm not gonna quit. And here's why, because I believe that he who began a good work in me will carry it out to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. So I'm not gonna fall short, I'm not gonna quit. And then here's the seventh one. I'm gonna praise him even if it don't look the way that I think it should look. Even when it doesn't go my way, I'm gonna give God praise in every situation because he's worthy of all my praise. And if he never did another thing, he's already done enough. So he says this, he says, your mindset matters. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some of us are not living out God's will for our life because our mind yet hasn't been renewed. Your spirit is saved, but your mind is still a slave. And today, God wanted me to tell you, today is the day you cut ties with the lies that you are believing. There's a pattern to this world and there's a pattern, pattern to Christ. And so here's the question, how do we cut ties? How, do we, how are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? Paul says this, Ephesians 6, with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love what he says in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, somebody captive, say captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That word take captive means to arrest or seize by sword. So what that means is every thought that comes into your mind doesn't have to control your life. That you actually have the power to take a thought that enters, take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so here's how the enemy tries Here's how the enemy tries. Where's it at? There it is. He tries to attack your mind. We talked about this last week with flaming arrows. And I'm just gonna do this so we can save on time. What he does, the way he's trying to get into your mind is he throws these flaming arrows and you need to understand it starts small. It starts with just a little lie. Not a big deal. You failed at work. You didn't make a, a deadline. Anybody been there? Yeah. You, you missed an assignment. You fell short. 
And what he'll do is he'll take a little bit of lie and he'll go, you failed. You're no good. You never will be. This is too big for you. You can't do it. You'll always fall short. And that's just a little lie. But then what you don't realize is that it's tied to something much deeper. And so first he attacks you with what you've done, but then it's tied to who you are. And so he throws these arrows at you. I'm gonna throw it at Kyle, I'm just kidding. And as it hits you, as it gets into your heart and into your mind, what you don't see is every lie has a tie. And so for some of you, you made a mistake in your marriage. You messed up. You're not perfect. Did something you regret. Maybe it led to a divorce. That's the mistake. And what the enemy does is he has that mistake tied to something deeper. And what's deeper is that if you failed one time, you'll always fail. That you can never love again. You can never be loved again. No one will ever see you that way. You can never get over your past because you failed in that and you'll always fail moving forward. So it started with a little lie, but now it has a tie. For some of you, you've been hurt by church. When I say church, I mean the people. Maybe I mean leadership, somebody you trusted. And, and what started was they don't appreciate me. They don't see me. I volunteer all the time. No one says thank you. What started as this small little lie has now turned into, so that means you can't trust nobody. You can never belong anywhere because they're all fake. They're all a bunch of hypocrites and you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. That's true, but you probably won't be a healthy one. Why? Because the lie has a tie. And that tie is the thing that's keeping you captive. It's tied to something deeper. But I got good news. When you and I are tied by the things of our past and tied by the things that are keeping us in bondage, he says we have this offensive weapon. And that offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit. And he says, and so what you do is when you hear the lie, you take that thought captive and you make it obedient to Christ. How? By using the Word of God. Oh, I thought I'd get at least one amen. <laughs> Talking about using a sword up in church. What's wrong with y'all? And, and here's the deal. This is what your life needs to look like from this day forward. You're going to have to learn how to identify the lie, see the tie it's attached to, and you cut it and you make it obedient to Christ. Do you know what I love about that? When it says make it obedient to Christ, it means to bind up. You know what that means? It means that the lie that once had you tied up, now if you'll get the sword of spirit, you can tie it up and bind it in the name of Jesus. Come on, it doesn't have to hold you back anymore. Is anybody thankful for the word of God today? He says, you're gonna take the sword and you're gonna use it. Now, here's what I need you to get. Don't misuse the sword. The intention of the sword was to tear down and cut off the lies. And the problem with so many people is instead of using this on the enemy, they're using it on each other. And then we wonder why people are walking around bleeding. It's because every time they walk in, you feel the need to take the Bible and cut them with it to let them know how wrong they are. This was never meant to be used on people. It was meant to be used on the lies from hell. 
So stop using this thing and being mean to people and rude to people and say, well, I'm using truth. No, 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 no. Truth is first something you wear, then it's something you weaponize. For what? To cut the ties that are still holding you back in Jesus' name. And this is why people get hurt is because they don't know how to use the sword. And really the job is for me to actually help you learn how to use it too. So, so don't use this as a weapon on other people. It's not why God gave it. They're on the same team. They have the same identity. They're a child of God. They're in the family of God. Why would you start trying to cut them with the sword when they ain't your enemy? I'm not talking to anybody today. And so here's what I love. When he uses this, this word of God, he says the word of God, there's two words in the Greek that's used throughout scripture for word. For the word of God, there's two words. It's logos, somebody say logos, and rhema. Somebody say rhema. Now, the idea of logos is awesome. You're gonna wanna write this down. Logos literally means logic, okay? It's the origin of something. It's the purpose in which something was created. It was the original intent of its creator. That's the, the origin, the logos, the logic. What's really cool is in John chapter one, when he's writing about Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that word dwelt among us and moved down into the neighborhood and made himself flesh so that you and I could actually have a relationship with God. The word he uses for that is logos. It's logic. In the beginning was the logic of God. So here's what that means. When you find yourself in a season of doubt, when you find yourself not being able to connect with God and things aren't making sense, you need to get back to the logic of God. You need to get back to the original intent. What was the original intent? What was the plan from the beginning? Jesus. Jesus was the logic of God. Now he didn't use that word in this passage. He uses rhema, say rhema. And so what rhema means is rhema is a sentence or phrase of words from scripture. You publicly speak, it's a rhema word. It's a sentence, it's a phrase that you use when the devil knocks on your door when the day of evil comes, which is why in Joshua 1, he says to, to not let this, the, the word depart from your mouth. He says, you gotta speak it. He says, but meditate on it day and night. Can I teach you something for a second? Can I quit preaching? Meditate in the Bible is different than what you probably think about meditation. It's not new age. New age meditation is like, hum, right? And you're trying to clear your mind. That's not biblical meditation, by the way. New age meditation is I'm trying to clear my mind. Biblical meditation is I'm trying to fill it up. So when I meditate, I'm not trying to clear my mind of thoughts. I'm trying to get the thoughts of God into my mind. And meditation is literally, it's a disgusting word. It means that word to chew cud. So all my farmers in the house know what this means. It's when a, when, a, when a cow eats the grass and swallows it and then throws it back up in its mouth and chews on it some more, swallows it back down and chews it up every time it gets hungry. Here's what he's trying to help you see. You need a rhema word. You need a phrase from scripture. You need to know what God's spoken over you. And you take that into your mind. And when your day of evil comes, you bring it back up and you take it captive with the sword. So here, here, here's, some, here's some rhema words. When I battle anxiety and I'm stressed out, Here's, here's, here's an example of how to use the word of God. I know what he says in Matthew 6, that he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers on the ground. How much more does he care for me than birds and flowers? Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble at home. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. So the next time you're, you're going, man, God, I don't really feel you right now and I can't sense you. You say, but, but, you're, but, but, but the word says that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. 
the, the next time you're going, God, I'm so stressed out because I don't understand the future. The rhema word is going, I don't have to understand the plans of the future. I've got to lean on you, not with my own understanding, but by faith. And I know the plans that you have. So even when I don't have them, I know that the plans you have for my life are to prosper me, to not harm me, to give me a hope and a future. I know that you will not, you will, you will finish everything that you started, that you will be faithful to complete it. So if it's not good, God, you're not done. And so I'm taking the sword and I'm chopping out the lie. So you got to identify the lie and then you make it obedient to Christ. And the thing that used to tie you, now you get to cut ties. The thing that has always held you back from your past, you're stronger than you were a year ago. You're stronger than you were five years ago. That thing that was put on you as a kid, that didn't allow you to actually live the life God's called you to live, here's what God's calling you to do today. The thing that keeps pulling on you, you gotta cut ties, amen? Amen, y'all stand to your feet. Is anybody thankful for the word of God today? Come on. So we're gonna cut some ties today. And I wanna encourage you to know what God says. Today I wanna encourage you to cut ties with bitterness, cut ties with shame, Cut ties with the things that's holding you back in the past and you replace it with the word of God. And you say, I'm not gonna hold on to shame. I'm cutting ties today because therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to live my life guilty because my sin has been washed away by the blood of the lamb. I don't have to be ashamed because God made me on purpose and for a purpose. I don't have to live that way anymore because I've been set free. I am in Christ and Christ is of God. Therefore, I'm clothed in righteousness. Therefore, I don't have to give in to temptation, but God always provides a way out for me to glorify his name and be obedient to him. So I'm no longer gonna lie, allow the ties from the past, the lies that are on my life, stop me from living and doing what God has called me to do. Some of you gotta cut ties today. And there's one tie you can't cut. And that's the one of sin. And so you and I, it's possible for you and I to cut ties with our behavior and with our past because Jesus came in and cut ties with your sin. And now you don't have to live under its penalty. So today, cut the ties that are holding you back. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church give. Have a blessed day.